A Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Listen to our self-love episode not so long ago. Well, you will already know today's guest. Hello, beautiful. Hello. <laughs> she really is gorgeous. She is Kim Morrison. Yes, Kim Morrison is the name and I guess essential oils is the beautiful game that I play in. Look, when we spoke to Kim about self-love and her book and thoughts on that subject, she touched on her knowledge of both personality types and essential oils. She's very well educated in this area. Mm. So we thought we definitely had to get her back so that she could share her extensive knowledge of essential oils because she's been working on it for years and Not years. only that, it's a hot topic at the moment. Every second person is oh, seeing yeah. the praises of essential oils and we wanted to have some discussion around that too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, she's a whiz. She's amazing. We love her. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty of essential oils with Kim Morrison. And stick around because at the end, she very generously has shared with us a special offer for Wellness Collective listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, at the age of 19, I left New Zealand to do my big OE and got as far as Melbourne. And I was working in a gymnasium and right next door to that is a beautiful natural therapies college. And I don't know if many of you can relate to this, but when we're in the right time at the right place, this just called me. And there was a, a course, a 10-week course advertising essential oils and massage. I had $180 in my bank account and spent the 160 on the course and and I'm sure you'll appreciate, though, the more I learnt, the more I realised I didn't know. So that little 10-week course became diploma after diploma over three and a half years. And I graduated with my aromatherapy diploma with honours in February on Valentine's Day 1991. Wow. So it's been a massive journey for me and a, and a topic that I'm really passionate and love. I love that at 19 you were um, wise enough to go, I'm in the right place at the right time and this is the thing I'm going to do. Good on you. I know. So I know, right. And here's the other thing. I had a $1,000 credit card that my mother said was for emergencies. I spent $800 on essential oils, which I couldn't tell. She couldn't check on internet banking back then, so thank goodness. But <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so good. You were still a 19-year-old yeah, at heart, so that's good. Exactly. So <laughs> let's get straight into it. Everyone knows the term essential oils, but what are they exactly? So essential oils are extracts from a plant that has an aroma to it. And an essential oil is a potent, concentrated extract from that plant or that herb. So when we, and and it has to be extracted with human um, distillery or extraction processes. So in theory, you could say an essential oil the way we buy them, are not natural. If, if you think about it, we have to distill it from the plant to get it, even though, of course, it's a natural substance. So, the high, you know, when you rub your hand over a rosemary bush or you squeeze a lemon and get stung in the eye, that's the essential oil that stings you. It ruptures the essential oil gland when we squeeze it or when we apply heat or pressure and we pull that. And if you've ever seen a distillation process, you will notice that the liquid comes out of that at very high temperatures once we you know, put it this way we put the the plant material on into a large vat onto a stainless steel mesh thing and we and we put water at the bottom when we heat that water of course steam rises it comes up through the plant material ruptures the essential oil gland carries it as we know steam rises it then hits a cold condensation you know roof that causes condensation down this condensing tube and into what we call a florentine flask and when you 
watch that liquid. It just sometimes usually looks a bit like a water, maybe even a slightly coloured water as it comes out. And then as that liquid sits, you will notice two very distinct levels uh, or, or um, liquids. And of course, on the top is the essential oil. That's the oil that rises to the top, which we then tap and bottle. And the rest of it is what we call floral water. Um, oh, okay. which can either be used to um, irrigate the fields or used from an organic farming principle or bottled as well because there's a lot of healing properties in that too. And, and is that sometimes used in perfumes as well? Yes, we can use floral waters in perfumes. We can use them in beautiful spritzes. We can use them as healing balms. We can add them to creams. There's a lot of therapeutic oh, properties nice. in floral water oh, as well. Making me feel so fresh just oh, thinking oh. about all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've explained that that's a really like visual explanation of how they're made and I love it um, because when I was thinking about this and we chatted with you on our previous podcast about essential oils a little bit and we were saying, you know, not all oils are the same. Um, but I always think about the ones that, you know, you used to choose when you were a teenager, like those disgusting patchouli kind of <laughs> like from the crystal shop back in the <laughs> 1990s. That's my vision of like the worst sort of oils. Uh, so not all oils are created equally, I'm guessing. No, and in fact, in order to test essential oils, the best way to test their purity and their quality is through mass spectrometry or, or liquid gas chromatography um, charting. So they put a drop of oil into this machine. It's amazing, actually. And then this machine spits out this information and it looks like a little bit like a heart monitor. Out come all the, this, these troughs, and not troughs, these peaks. So these peaks come out, there's small peaks, there's large peaks, and then there's lots of little tiny peaks. Now, each one of those peaks represents a chemical constituent. So it could be menthol, or it could be a ketone, or it could be an aldehyde. And we know that each one of those peaks represents something. So we have what we call minor constituents and major constituents. Now, here's the beautiful thing. In science, man has learned how to replicate major and minor constituents. So we can synthetically reproduce a smell based on reading what those major and minor constituents are. But what they haven't yet mastered is what we call the trace elements, all those tiny little ones, which I call the fingerprint of the plant, which is the characteristics. And it's all of those synergistically combined that create the therapeutic value of that oil. So you can see why as a consumer who's not au fait with essential oils, you can be very easily duped or tricked into thinking that lavender oil for $5 from the markets is the same as an organic oil that may cost $30 for a 10 ml bottle. And it's only through a trained nose or someone who gets more and more used to oils or someone that can read mass spectrometry charts or liquid gas chromatographs that you actually get to understand whether or not something is pure or has been adulterated. And it costs to do those tests. So, you know, for com some companies, they don't go to the testing levels. They trust their supplier, whereas some of us like every oil tested. So, you know, it could be that oils that come out of Morocco, that could have a drought, or it could be um, Madagascar had some sort of flood and we couldn't get ylang-ylang. Sometimes farmers, because they don't want to miss out on sale, will add synthetic components or fillers. And just like any industry, it's very easy. In fact, 70% of the aromatherapy industry is adulterated, believe it or not. So there's a lot of people using essential oils now thanks to some fairly large companies, I guess we say thanks to. Um, can we talk a little bit about, I know that you're passionate about talking about ingestion of essential oils because mm. it is something that a lot of people are doing Um 
How do we talk about that, I guess? There's always going to be um, things that we have to work with within that industry. So there's a lot of well-meaning, um, passionate advocates of essential oils out there telling people to do things with essential oils. We have to remember that plants' essential oils have high therapeutic qualities. So if we're going to use them in a medicinal way, we have to remember to treat them with respect. So a well-meaning advocate around essential oils could say something that they truly mean to help another person and have a desire to have other people have these oils in their life. But I think we're forgetting, and my concern as an aromatherapist is we're forgetting that they are, in fact, you know, medicines, if you like. So when it comes to the internal ingestion of essential oils, look, there's there's thousands of doctors and aromatherapists that prescribe the internal use of essential oils for specific conditions over a short period of time. And that's the key that I want to get across here. It's for specific ailments for a short period of time. It's not something that you put three drops of lemon oil in your water every morning and drink that. That is not something I would recommend. First of all, in aromatherapy terms, the science and the research around essential oils is still very limited. And in fact, you could say aromatherapy is a very young therapy, even though it's been around for 4,000 years. From a scientific point of view, it is still considered very young. So with that in mind, the scientists listening to this would appreciate that, that, you know, willy-nilly taking oils or telling people to use them drops into this and drops into that and ingesting them, I'm sure would all have the same concerns I do, that there is no science to prove whether it is good. And certainly um, there's a lot of suggestion and hearsay that it could be bad. My preference around it and us all being foodies, you'll appreciate with even the knowledge in the last five to 10 years coming out about the microbiome, mm. we know that the gut is lined with millions of bacteria and they're finding out each day just how incredibly important that microbiome is for a healthy system and generations to come. Well, here's the thing. All high-quality essential oils are antiseptic and antibacterial to a lesser or greater degree, every single one of them. So if you pop so some of those in your, <laughs> in your gut, you're going to be in trouble? Exactly. If We don't know if they're antibacterial and yet the gut lining is made up of thousands, if not millions, of bacteria what is that doing? What's the accumulation effect or what's the long-term effect of that? So I'm just curious to suggest that until we have the science or unless you're working with a very qualified person who understands the gut and understands the potency of essential oils, my recommendation is that if you're going to use them as a flavouring, make sure that there's no more than four drops per recipe. This is just my rule of thumb. No more than four drops per recipe. And certainly every recipe that you use essential oils in for a flavouring must have a fat, remembering that oils are not soluble in water. So we need to have a fat to help disperse them more evenly and therefore make them more um, accessible for the gut to absorb. That's a really interesting point. You, I've never thought about putting essential oils in a recipe before, but if you think, you know, you're making something and you want peppermint, um, I would think you would go to the garden and get some mint leaves or some peppermint leaves. Or, But is this, this is what you're saying, that there are recipes where you can substitute the actual food for the oil? Well, when you think about it, if you go to the supermarket and walk down the baking aisle, there's almond essence, oh, vanilla essence, peppermint yeah, yeah. essence. So these have all been made usually as 
this, and I just mentioned before, when they take the major and minor constituents and they recreate it, and it's a synthetic version of peppermint mm. or it's an adulterated version of it. So to me, when it comes to using foods as flavourings, and this is probably where I then become controversial, I guess, in the professionals in my industry, is that if we're going to use synthetic substances to flavour something, would it not be more ideal to use the pure extract that's come from the plant? So that's why I say use, you know, no more than four drops per recipe mm. and make sure that there's a fat in there to help disperse it. I would say that that's a much nicer flavouring, you know, and, and let's remember also to use food flavouring oils. So there's no way I would use sandalwood in a recipe <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like Yum. Let's, use the, let's, let, let's keep it real about the foods that we eat um, using the essential oils for flavourings. But that in itself is controversial. There's lots of therapists out there that don't believe we should even be using them from that point of view. But I would love to say that we're not going to stop people doing them as flavourings. So let's do it safely with a fat and no more than four drops per recipe. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment because there's a lot more to talk to you about. We're speaking with the lovely Kim Morrison again because I know, we, we had her on the back. podcast already, but there was so much information we felt in the area of essential oils, which is a hot topic right now, mm. um, that we didn't get to explore. So we've just been talking about all of that and really diving into her wisdom. She's a very clever woman. Have you got some more questions? I do. Cecilia? Look, I read somewhere that essential oils can trigger something in our brain that reacts to smells. Um, which then, you know, brings emotions on like and memories and things like that and also sets new kind of um, memories for us, I suppose. What do you think about that? I completely agree. We know that smell is very closely linked to our emotions and I want you to put it into a different context. Let's imagine you two, darlings, you went out <laughs> with some hot bloke in your town. Yes, this is true. <laughs> the deodorant. They wore Brute 33 or, you know, <laughs> oh I don't know, After yes. Spice or whatever it was called. After Spice. And <laughs> what was it called? Old Spice, I think. Old Spice. My grandpa used to wear that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Going out with grandpa. So they wore this, this certain aftershave or cologne. Now, you've split up with this bloke. Now, depending on how you split up with him, let's say years later you're at a party and someone walks past with the same aftershave or cologne on. And now, depending on how you split up with him, will evoke a whole lot of triggers around your memory around that. Mm. And it could be, mm. oh, my gosh, he's here. Or it could be, oh, my gosh, I've got to get out of here. Run. Right? Get me out of Fight here. Fight or flight. Yeah, right. So smell has that. Now, if you're a mum, you know the smell of your baby just mm. brings you such joy. We almost want to drink them in when we're holding them in the same way that they're attracted to the mother through the mother's milk and the pheromones that we release. There is a whole lot of DNA communicating and talking all the time. And smell is probably one of the most underrated of all senses where we don't use it the way it was designed in centuries gone by, where we would use it for danger or we would use it to um, understand. We can even smell fear, believe it or not. We release mm. different pheromones when we're menstruating or when we're going through menopause or when we're um, in the middle of our cycle, we release different pheromones, which is why we are more attracted to a someone maybe even subconsciously around making babies or let's say it, having sex at certain times, there are pheromones that are released in order 
for us to be impregnated or impregnate someone else. Let's let's talk about How it. How good is war. it that all that stuff happens without us having any concept of it happening? I know, right? Convenient. Now I've got a theory. I'm not a scientist and I'm certainly not a biochemist. But I believe one of the reasons why we have one in three marriages falling over or relationships breaking down is because we are masking our natural pheromones by using synthetic deodorants, you know, creams and potions, perfume, all these things that we are putting on ourselves, which are made from synthetic counterparts. We're wearing them. We then meet someone. We have the visual attraction. Then when we get into their space and we become a little bit more intimate, then we find that the DNA is not able to converse. So if you think about it from a primal point of view, when we meet someone without all these these chemicals on us, we're first of all maybe visually attracted, and let's face it, and let's go raw and real, men are looking at boobs and butt to make sure that they can provide for their beautiful babies. Women are looking at their men for strong muscles and good legs and good hands so that they can provide and protect. But then take all that away and get through the rawness of that. When we get into their space, when the flirting's occurred and then we're having this dance, if you like, then the kissing occurs. That's when the, the DNA really starts to talk. And in all honesty, it's then when the DNA is going, actually, these two people are going to make great babies. That's talking about it from a very primal point of view. Now, let's mask all of that with smells and chemicals and things in our bathrooms. And, you know, they say a woman walks out of her bathroom every morning smothering herself in at least 200 chemicals before she even leaves that room, let alone what we do with our food and and environmental things, etc. So I'm suggesting that if we could just get back to the raw appreciation of who we are, trusting our smells, our cycles, our rhythm, and who we truly are from a raw point of view, I've got a theory that I think marriages and relationships would have a much better long-term standing. So to answer your question... Yeah, yeah. Well, we also add to that, we know that the pill or synthetic hormones absolutely affect pheromones. So when I say that to patients, they freak out. They're like, what do you mean? I'm not in love with my partner. And I'm like, no, but your pheromones are affected by synthetic hormones. Smells different. So you're being attracted to someone that you wouldn't potentially otherwise even be attracted to. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's proven. We know that. That's actually, Mm. there is research behind that. In a lineup. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> and when you you are absolutely right, beautiful, that when you inhale an aroma, you those those molecules, those constituents travel up the olfactory system. They hit the limbic part of the brain, which is also one of our emotional centres via the hypothalamus and the central nervous system. We can have this release of different chemicals. So let's say we inhaled lavender. There's different uh, chemical constituents that hit the limbic part of the brain that release chemicals within our body to soothe and calm us. Or when we inhale peppermint or rosemary, there's a lot of menthol in there, which hits another part of the brain, which creates creates more of a stimulating effect. So with a more pure you are around the smells and things that you use on your body and in your home, the more direct that um, effect is is felt. And I would love to think that we could get back to a more uh, or a less synthetic thing. You can imagine for us, here was a thing I did with my kids, you'll love this. We went to India and we were walking past a slum in Mumbai and the kids, I said to them, look, it's probably not going to smell too great. But as we walked past, of course, we were I guess you could say offended by the smell, but all these people that live there, and if you go to India, even not in slums, there are certain smells that they do not find offensive. But put one of those beautiful souls 
into a David Jones or a Myers department store when you get assaulted, you know, with a perfume person coming at you to spray it on you, they would find that highly offensive. So, again, it's also about adaptation. And I walk through those places. I don't know how those people work in there with all of those chemical smells and then all the computers. And I don't know about you guys, but I find that quite harsh on the system. Mm. So I can't imagine what it's doing again to the DNA. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And what about with stress and anxiety? Because, you know, I think we've all heard about pop essential oil in your diffuser and it will help with calming your nerves and all that kind of thing. Is that a real situation? Absolutely. We know that certain smells, as I just mentioned, like lavender can help Mm. calm us. And within three to four seconds, we can have a biochemical physiological reaction to a smell. Think about it like this. If you were starving hungry, you you know, when I say starving, that's a bit dramatic. We don't starve, (laughs) really. But, you know, let's say we're hungry. And whether or not you eat gluten, I'm not, this isn't the debate, but let's say you walk past a French bakery and you smell Mm. a fresh lot of croissants coming out of the oven. That smell, that aroma could dictate your behaviour in that moment. We know that just by smelling that, um, our saliva glands will start releasing saliva. We start getting a rumbling tummy even. And depending on our willpower or our strength of conviction around what's right for us and what's not, will depend on whether we buy one croissant, five croissants, or we face plant a whole chocolate au pan or whatever it's called. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> It's, it's really important to understand that smell can also drive our behaviours. So, and I, and I want to take it a little step further for you guys. And I don't know, I'm sure with you, Nat, you've heard of this, but the doctrine of signatures is something that really appeals to me around plant therapy. And I guess when you look at a plant and you understand how the plant could talk to us, oh my gosh, if we could just take note of this. So if you think about it, when we look at the the leaves of the tree, so the leaves allow for the tree to breathe and many essential oils come from the leaves of plants such as tea tree, eucalyptus, peppermint, pine, rosemary, cypress, all of these come from the leaf of the tree. Now, one of the most amazing healing qualities of leaf oils is that they are not only highly antiseptic, they're very stimulating, they're clearing, they're activating, and they help us to breathe better. So they're wonderful for things like bronchitis, hay fever, sinus, coughs and colds. And I think that's extraordinary when you start, if you don't know anything about essential oils, think about where the oil comes from and that will help you to appreciate what it can do for the body. So let's look at things like the resins. So oils like frankincense and myrrh. Now these oils were used to embalm and preserve mummies um, through Egypt and things like that. And they have extraordinary anti-aging effects. So they can be very comforting, anti-aging, grounding, and they're also very stabilizing oils. So if you think about it, the resins are wonderful in our skincare to help preserve us as we age. Or we could talk about the seeds. You know, essential oils that come from the seeds are often connected to um, supporting the reproductive system. So um, fennel can help act as a phytoestrogen to help rebalance hormones or other seed oils like black pepper and cardamom are excellent for the reproductive system or the digestive system. So is that helpful to understand yeah, how oh my really God, powerful helpful. plants are? I just think so your good. knowledge is amazing. Yes. The things you know about stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that we can it's tap like into passion. it. It's great. I know. It's, it so shows. Kim, we are out of time, but do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? So if you want to follow me, I'm a huge Instagram lover, Kim Morrison and the number 28, or you can follow us obviously on Facebook or the website, which is the word 20, the number 8.com. So Kim asked us to offer you a 15% discount code on her beautiful essential oil cards, which you can find on her website. If you enter the code word TWC15, then you'll get your discount. So she's just so knowledgeable and mm. so generous yep. and such a beautiful person. I, I want to say thank you so much, Kim. Thank you, Kim. Can we just get her back all the time? Maybe. She just makes me feel good being around her aura. Not even in person. <laughs> Amazing. We can, we can hang out with her at any time, I reckon. Oh, I think so. We're in the Kim Morrison gang. <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, joining us today for this chat and watch out for that smelly patchouli oil. Just avoid that. <laughs> very good advice if you take anything from today's podcast. I think that is the one thing you can. Until next time. We hope this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier. healthier. Oh, and better. It's your turn. Oh, that's right. I'll do the end one. <laughs> Bye. 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 